Welcome to the neighborhood, Sam. Welcome to the neighborhood, Anthony. Are you ready to get dramatic? I'm about to get operatic. Well, that's great because our guest today is a professional opera singer, Michael Day. Can't wait for you to meet him. Is the Gaberhood. Brought to you by the Gay Agenda Improv. I'm Anthony Douglas. And I'm Sam Meyer. Uh, Sam, you did a little bit of studying of uh, vocalisms. Is that what you call it? Vocalisms. Ooh. Uh, vocal, a little vocal vocation. Vo- a little, uh, yeah, you did musical theater in school, right? I did. I did musical theater. I have some classical opera training. Um, I sing in a gay men's choir. Um, I do musical improv. I mean, there is uh, music in my bones. All right, let's lay down some ground rules because I do know that you're a fantastic singer. Uh, Sam and I did, uh, we have a play, a musical play together called Camtastic where he wrote the, the all the music to it with uh, a friend composer of his. Yes, with the wonderful talents of Miss Caitlin Gilmore. Yeah, uh, it's fantastic, touching, soul-touching music. Uh, Sam is super talented. He uh, taught me how to to be able to sing, how to Stop use my voice it, for I'm that. Blushing. Um, and uh, he is a star in Prism Men's Choir uh, here in the Detroit area. And I went to his concert uh, this past weekend, and it was just stunning. Sam's solo was stunning. He was clearly a star, an audience Stop favorite. Stop it, you! Now I uh, I felt the particular the uh star moment for me it wasn't even when i was singing it was when i was hula dancing oh i totally agree you had every movement like in the wrists you were the one person who who flowed like a blade of grass thank you so much the hips don't lie and the booty don't quit and if you don't you have to dance uh from your fingertips to the tips of your toes every single part of your body has to be engaged that's the only way that you deliver you know, like that stunning performance. So I, I want to I want to lay down some ground rules because I know you're going to be starstruck by this by our guest today. I'm so excited! Yeah, he's been talking for for days about how he's excited when we found out that we're bringing on a professional opera singer uh, who is just stunningly handsome. By My the way, my first question is, can I lick him? <laughs> the answer is, I'll let you know after I do it. Okay. 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 But uh, no asking him to sing. Okay. And uh, no asking him to teach us a good throat warm up. Ooh, that's that's. <laughs> I just like want to throw a joke in there, like warm my throat up. Mm. I can't do that. Um, you know <laughs> I what? I can't let... harass our guest. <laughs> Is that what you're telling me? I can't harass our guest. Oh God, I I don't want to tell you no, and then I go ahead and do it. <laughs> That wouldn't be fair. Like I'm some like voracious, rapacious cockhound. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's just gonna walk into the room a and I'm just gonna like, <laughs> as the Germans would say, a cockhund. Why? Why is this one wearing a leash? He'll ask. <laughs> why is he wearing a muzzle? <laughs> it's for your protection. Uh, you can pet him, but only at your own risk. <laughs> Anywhere above the waist is probably safe. Well, um, I think let's just get right into it. We can bring him into the studio and uh, let's see where things go with this one. I'm salivating already. I'm a believer that one of the reasons that gays exist is to class this place up. Not a little bit, but a lot. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. Like throughout history, clearly gays have been involved in uh, in the arts. It's all, so important. All things classy. And there is nothing classier than opera. Fuck me up with some opera, dude. Any day of the week. I mean, I love it. It is the most dramatic art form, I would say, which is just very much up my alley. Well, we have a specimen of art here today. Professional opera singer Michael Day, welcome to the neighborhood. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, Michael. We're Hello. so thrilled to have you here. 
Um, folks listening, first of all, Michael is beautiful. You need to understand <laughs> that. Ah, oh, stop it. Also, he has a beautiful voice and a beautiful personality and, like, the whitest teeth I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> his, life. His eyes and his teeth glow. He could bring down a plane. Okay, yeah. going to make me blush. But instead, he brings down the house. Michael, tell <laughs> us a little bit about what you do. Um, so I work uh, currently at Michigan Opera Theater. I'm uh, what we call a studio artist there, which means that I'm uh, with the company for their whole season, which runs like September through May. And what the studio artists do, um, it's kind of considered like a stepping stone um, into being like a full-on uh, principal opera singer. Um, so we're with the opera company um, for the whole season, and they bring in um, uh, specific people to sing the main roles in each of the operas. But we're there to um, sort of sing the supporting roles. Uh, we cover the lead roles, which is like the word that we use for understudy. Um, and then we also do lots of like events around Detroit. Anything that's, uh, you know, advertising the Opera House, we'll sing there. Uh, at this time of year, we're singing at a lot of Christmas parties, um, sort of like odds and ends of singing that the Opera House needs. Fantastic. Uh, I recently saw The Barber of Seville. Absolutely loved it. And I read before I went to the show, because I, I think it's almost important to read about the opera you go into, especially if it's in another language. Sure. Is, is that this is the perfect opera to bring someone to who's never experienced opera before. Do you agree? Uh, totally. Actually, The Barber of Seville is the first opera that I ever saw. Oh, um, nice. I What's, in my opinion, what's cool about The Barber of Seville is that, you know, like we have this canon of operas that become kind of the most well-known ones, which we kind of have to have because it's several years old, this art form. Um, and Barber of Seville is really like the only one of like, if you take, take like the top 10 operas, it's the only one that's a comedy. So like it kind of shows that it's like really a well-constructed opera because it stood the test of time much better than, like, you know, comedy, like, tends to not age as well as something like a tragedy. Um, So, I don't know. I think Barbara Seville is, like, an incredible... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, but but this one, it didn't time out. Uh, It... What was important was the timing of the comedy, which that lasts forever. Yeah, right, right. Right. Uh, Yeah. So, Michael, how... Many would consider opera to be a dying art form, um, but it's seeing a, we've seen like with classical music and with opera in particular starting to sort of hit a resurgence with the younger generations. First of all, how did you get into? How did you become an opera singer? Um, so I first went. To, okay, so when I was in high school, I had a really, really incredible um, choir teacher, and so I was like, "That's what I want to do. I want to teach high school choir." So I went to Indiana University. Um, and got a music education degree. But while I was there, um, they have a huge, huge opera program at IU. And I'd always known that I liked singing and I liked performing, but I hadn't really found something that like really felt like, you know, my gig. Um, And so my teacher was like, well, you really should like look into this and like start singing more classical stuff and, um, you know, get into that. And so I did. And I was really successful at IU. And I actually ended up going to grad school there as well. I'm um, getting a vocal performance degree. Um, and then I just kind of jumped into uh, doing it professionally. So I've, I've done it here uh, in Detroit for a couple years. I worked in St. Louis for the past three summers. Um, so yeah. Wow. So you are not only a talented, but an educated queen. <laughs> and and you, could, you could teach us. Right. Yeah. Settle down. Yeah. We, well, it's funny. It's interesting to hear you say that opera is like is dying because that's something that a lot of like singers and conductors in the business kind of lament about. But the funny thing about that is that people have been saying that for a long time, but it like it actually doesn't. It just kind of evolves. So like the reason that in the United States that opera is not as popular as something like musical theater is because it's not it didn't start as an American art form. Like musical theater, we have Mm. such a long tradition of like, you know, the golden age musical. And like that is a purely American thing. Um, And so like, obviously it doesn't necessarily translate as well, but we're starting to see um, opera American opera composers be more successful. Um, So like contemporary opera composers um, that are American, uh, people seem to be really responding to. So I think that that is kind of the way opera is going is more towards like, okay, how do we make this relevant in the United States? Well, we have to like, we have to create our own art, you know? It's not just enough to go. It's it's up to people who are who are great at the art to, to create themselves and, and to bring in people to the houses. Absolutely. Which, which is not to say that like we can't keep performing Barbara Seville and La Boheme and Madame Butterfly because 
like you said, there's something that is inherently human about all of those stories, but um, we have to kind of claim it for our own as I well. I couldn't agree more with you. And, and there was something special to to have sat there in the realization that millions of other people had who've come and gone, who've like been born and died, have seen The Barber of Seville and who've seen all these other operas that I've gone to over the years. And I realize that every time, and it's always been important for me to, to do that, uh, I, I have a family who played in Italy with uh, professional orchestras. And on the times that I've been there, I've always gotten to see them and they've taken me to operas. And uh, the first performance I ever saw, I don't remember what it was called, but they kept calling it a lyrical opera. And and I and we sat in this ancient building in Palermo, and it blew me away. And I knew that this is something that I I will enjoy for the rest of my life. Quick question: What is the difference between an opera and a lyrical opera? Well, a lyrical opera that could be referring to a bunch of different things. I'm not really sure because like it sounds like that came from an Italian word, um, lyrical opera. We don't necessarily use that word to describe um, different types of opera, but we have lots of different styles of opera that we talk about so we have like there's like bel canto opera and there's verismo opera um and those basically refer to different um well they refer to a lot of different things first of all like a period of time in which it was written so like okay this piece was written um like if if you know let's say mozart wrote this piece that is going to be considered a classical opera um versus like something that you know, um, Puccini wrote, we would call that a verismo opera, which is sort of, which is the Italian word for like realistic because um, what Puccini was trying to capture in his music and with his storytelling was something that was a lot more visceral and um, uh, intensely emotional than how Mozart uh, uh, captured his characters. I see. So almost like Mozart was more formulaic in... Presented in art? Yeah, you could say that. Like, you know, it's funny because, you know, the way that we, like, look at something like Mozart or even Barbara Seville, which was written by Rossini, who came along, you know, quite a bit after Mozart. um, But we we tend to look at that and opera in general as sort of this, like, like this music that we put on a pedestal. But at the end of the day, they were doing the same thing that, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda's doing when he wrote Hamilton. They're taking words that, like, for whatever reason, um, create an emotional response in the listener and they make music that they hope will create an emotional response in the listener. But when we look at it in, you know, 2018, it's the the emotional response that we have to that music is very different because we have a whole, we have context. We have, yes. you know, Hamilton to listen to. Yeah. And so then when we go to listen to Barbara Seville, they, that it sounds... V- obviously very aesthetically different. So we don't have the same immediacy of emotional response to that. Um, but that's that's what he was after in the first place. So like you said, it, it's up to the performers to like bring that to life right. in a way that we can respond to it the way that he intended. I see. Uh, those people who listened to it when it originated had the benefit of knowing the, the social context of the scene. And, and just knowing the language is helpful. Many of us go to operas not understanding much. Uh, the Magic Flute, I didn't understand anything but you saw it at, at it. mot yeah but did they have the super titles then they did okay okay yeah. great which can be distracting totally to have to do that you kind of just want to you know sit there and i guess during the slower parts when it's less interesting singing yeah uh, less emotionally uh evocative i guess then it's a good opportunity for me at least to read the uh, super titles yeah there's a there's kind of a trend uh well i should say there was a trend like 20 or 30 years ago, where everyone was just doing operas in their own native language. So if you saw an opera in the United States, it would be in English. Um, and people have kind of gotten away from that in general. So, But for instance, like the opera company that I work for in St. Louis, they do everything in English still. And the reason that that works in that space is because it's a pretty small theater. Um, and so like you have, like I said, it's the immediacy of those words that it would be very distracting to have another language, you know, if sure. I'm sitting this close to you and I'm singing in German at you, it's not really going to mean as much. Um, but but most opera companies have gotten away from that because they have the super title, so they want to maintain kind of the beauty of the language. But it's a, t- it's a tough, you know, it's a give and take. It's worth it. Just learn a couple other languages. Learn at least one other language. One of the special things for me about Barbara of Seville was that they did it in Italian, and, and it was it, uh, it's spoken in a, in a more archaic version of 
modern Italian. Yeah, right. But I could still understand it, and there's nuance. And they there were certain sayings and ways of saying things that they said that are still used today that only make perfect sense if spoken and heard in Italian. Exactly. So like that's the thing is like if you're if you do a translation for, of it. Yeah, you can get the story, but you're going to miss some of the, like, subtlety. And in, like, Barbara Seville, for instance, you're going to miss some of the humor because the joke's not going to be as funny in English. So people are creating modern operas. And we haven't heard a lot about them yet. Is there is there an opera with gay heroes or gay characters who are the main characters? Yes, there are a couple. The one, There's one that I have been listening to so much lately. It's called Fellow Travelers, and it's by Gregory Spears. And um, it takes place during the Red Scare, which was when, um, you know, Joseph McCarthy was going around and like, it was kind of like that witch hunt for... You're a communist! Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, But the thing that kind of gets erased from that narrative a little bit is that he also was like, he was looking for communists, but he's also looking for gay people. And there's like kind of a witch hunt for gay people. And it's about two guys who work in the government and are gay. Um, And it's like, oh, it's so beautiful. Like, it makes me cry. I love that. Now, let's, uh, let's back it up a little bit. Uh, part of the reason that we obviously invited you here today is because you are an out and proud gay opera singer. Can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, everyone's got a funny coming out story. If that's not like not too personal of a question, like, can you tell us how, first of all, just sort of like how you came up, your whole sort of background, and then move into sort of like how that uh, affects you as an opera singer? Yeah, sure. Um, I came out, uh, well, my my family is a uh, Catholic, very very religious Heard. family. Um, yeah, so <laughs> my coming out was a little rough. They're awesome about it now. My my family's wonderful. They're That's my wonderful. favorite people in the whole world. Um, I'm very very fortunate. Um, but yeah, it it was tough at first. What's interesting about being gay in the opera world is that it might it's one of the few industries in the world where like, if I'm being totally honest, like being gay is definitely not a disadvantage and almost an advantage because it's kind of so like most most of the industry is run by gay men and like there's kind of a feeling of like camaraderie like I think like love that you know what I mean like it's I I don't know you know I'm not trying to like say like that the only reason that I'm successful is because I'm gay but I do think like there are people Wait, it's that not? <laughs> it, it helps. Um, yeah. it, it does. Like it, it honestly, like I think that you know, all things being equal, there is kind of this feeling. Um, oh God, how do I like? How do I? I don't know how to say this without sounding like very politically incorrect, but like of like gay men in this industry want to like root for other gay men, and Absolutely. so it's like like we keep it. We keep the money in the family. Yeah. No. On, like it's that's exactly yeah. what it is. Like and so. Yeah, it certainly hasn't hindered my um, my path so far, I, I don't think. I mean, like, it's – I will say, like, again, if it were, like, 20 or 30 years ago, I think that there was something about, like, well, we can't really cast him as a romantic lead because he's, you know, feminine and he, you know, he can't – he's too flamboyant. He can't – and, like, I will say, like, I have had to learn how to, like – quote unquote act straight on stage yeah exactly because like I mean I don't like I'm not I don't move that feminine but I certainly have exactly but but like you know she she turns her hand upside down (laughs) once in a while like (laughs) like, you know what I mean like it's like I I, I have had to learn like she sissies that walk honestly like like, (laughs) well we don't get up on stage always to play ourselves we're playing exactly some of them are definitely they have a higher level of testosterone exactly exactly and so it's just like okay well if I'm playing this straight man who is supposed to be alive in the 1700s not only did you know, straight men not move that way. Nobody moved that way at this time. So it's like, it's a study in like, anytime you get on stage, like you said, you're, you're playing someone else. And whether that's, whether you're changing your, uh, your body language based on your sexuality or what time period you're in, either way, it's a challenge. And you're kind of trying, trying to, you know, inhabit a new, a new body, basically. I find all that really interesting too, because particularly, Uh, the support of other gay men in opera because you see in different industries, comedy specifically, uh, that's very difficult for gay men to break through. There's a huge stigma in the leadership. So it's really refreshing to hear that there is such a uh, welcoming attitude towards gay men in opera. Do you think that that's because 
like people who are like in in charge in comedy just don't get gay humor or or they like actively don't want gay men to be as successful as straight men in comedy well it's funny because you see i mean not to get in trouble with snl but it's sort of uh very public knowledge that uh snl will take the audition tapes of gay men and use their characters with straight actors oh, later really? on. Oh, no, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Um, copyright everything you say and do, right? Saturday Night Live has not hired a gay, an openly gay male actor since like the 70s. They've had one. They have wow. one openly gay man on the show ever. Uh, Lauren Michaels has never hired an openly gay man to be on the show. Wow. Uh, we are seeing that that there are more gay comedic actors and comedians coming out more and more now that, that now that there's social media and and we're finding that at least in my opinion I think people love us and they know that we're super talented we're not just good at dressing well and dressing other people well we're not just good at interior decoration <laughs> we're, we're some I mean bitches. we are good at interior decoration <laughs> we're super, but... <laughs> we are superior at those skills but we also are fabulous at at you know at doing comedy and at writing yeah. and at at being romantic leads and at being superheroes and at chopping wood and whatever else. And sissy in that walk, Henny. <laughs> yes. So, okay, so Michael, so we sort of covered, you know, gay opera, but what is it like uh, touring around, sort of hopping gay community to gay community? Uh, because you were saying your job sort of takes you all over the place. It does. I've been uh, actually, so like if you take the whole spectrum of like, how often does an opera singer travel? I've been actually very lucky in that I've been able to, uh, so far in my career, be kind of like kind of set up camp in places like, like I said, I, this this uh, sort of residency program that I'm in right now is kind of a rarity. Um, so to to be able to be here for, you know. September through May, two years in a row, is actually kind of rare for an opera singer. And the same thing with St. Louis. I, the fact that I've gotten to go back there three times, um, I have gotten to kind of know, like, the gay community. Um, I, I, I was a little bit spoiled in that, like, when I, as I was, you know, like, the main place that I've, I don't know, gone out and gotten to know the gay community has been in Chicago, which is like, you know, there's like Boys Town and it's like, it, it's very concentrated. Mm-hmm. So I've had to kind of learn like in Detroit and less so in St. Louis, but really in Detroit, like it's not always obvious like where the gay people it's are. It's not, you can't just get into a cab and be like, take me to- Take me to the gay place. Like, take the me gay to the gay there's not, there's not a, Yeah. yeah. We're in the neighborhood, but you can't find us on a street. We're more like a web. Yeah, yes, exactly. And, like, I mean, I think that that describes Detroit in general. Like, it's never it's never obvious, like, when you first get here, at least, it's never obvious, like, where the things you like are. And so, like, it's taken me a long time to, like, get to know the Detroit area and be like, okay, this is, like, the place that I like. Because it's not as... Uh, it's just it's just spread out in We're a way that I exactly exactly which is you know good and bad it's it's a good thing but yeah I I don't know I I guess I don't I still feel like I don't really know the like Michigan like gay scene if 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 that makes any sense I, I mean I grew up here and I still am not familiar with the Michigan gay <laughs> yeah, scene right. quite honest right yeah. and I don't feel bad about that anymore yeah I, at one time I used to I uh, used to think God I especially um, in an earlier decade of my life, yeah. I, I wanted to have more gay friends and and see and ha- and have that experience of what you would see on social media, with what the big beautiful exactly. groups of these gaggle of gays are Hashtag doing. Hashtag squad goals, right? But <laughs> who cares? I do. You still do. I love it. No, I think that finding some level of gay community is very is is important. Gotta have it, yeah, because it's something that I didn't grow up with and didn't have for so long. It's something that when I found it, even if I don't need to be super involved in that scene, I don't need to be going out every night with my girls. Of course not, right. It still is comforting to know you have that family, that community yeah. uh, of, of gay people around I feel you. That, I feel there's that way a, now. And there's a, yeah. uh, you know, there's a community support as well. Particularly for artists, I find totally uh, where having sort of those champions around you, those people who support you, is really important mm-hmm. as an artist. Because I've been poor. Yeah, I've been really, really poor, 
And having people who are like, you know, not even asking questions, like, oh, I'm going to take you out to dinner. I'm going to grab you drinks, yeah. you know, like. Um, so have you been able to find that or do you have that in sort of your various cities of like a community of support? Yeah, it, it, it's funny to hear you guys talk about like having a group of gay friends because I, you know, when I first came out, I don't know why this was so important to me, but I, I always was like. Well, you know, I I always want to like I want to be like the gay friend in the group of friends. Like I don't want to like I don't want all my friends to be gay. But then like you know, five minutes later, oh, I was all of my friends gay are gay. People. Like all of my friends are gay. Uh, yeah. Oh course. no no same yeah, same same. First came out, I was like ho- like terrified. Yeah of yeah gay yeah. People. Because you know we have like homophobia like yeah, bashed into our brains deeply ingrained. <laughs> yeah. So it's like you know like for me I don't know, like like you guys but like when I first came out I was like okay like I'm gay but I'm not like. I'm that not like gay. that kind of gay. Oh, and, yeah, that was such a big deal. Gay. Yeah, Re- totally. Remember when it was a compliment for someone to be like, "Oh, I didn't know that you were gay." What oh, have I been able to tell? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, my I like, never got that by the way. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, everyone around me knew I was gay before I did. I'm so sorry. Please continue. No. Um, but my like group of friends are actually the the friends that I went to school with. My friends that I made um, in Indiana. Okay. Um, most of them live in Chicago. Um, and so, like, I go see them whenever I can. But, I, yeah, I have, like, found a group here in Detroit. It's mostly through work, though. So, like, my roommate, for example, um, is also a singer um, at MOT. And so, like, we've been friends. We actually met in St. Louis, and she's awesome. And so That's cool. Yeah. That's great. Uh, so it's good to hear that you sort of have that, you know, you still get your little community of support. Yeah. You girls. You, and, and you get it so much with the art community, too. And and. The two community, the gay and the art communities, are so intertwined and Absolutely. permanently connected. Uh, when I first started taking improv classes at the Planet Ant Theater, I uh, hadn't met anyone after like a few, almost a month or so. But I was having a good time in classes, but I still hadn't made friends at that point. And one day I went to go see a live Monday night show. We do amazing shows there on Monday nights. It's a big deal tradition in Detroit Monday night improv at the Planet Ant Theater in Hamtramck. And I was sitting by myself, and during intermission, uh, a young woman came up to me and introduced herself and asked me if I was with anyone. I said no. And she's like, well, why don't you come over and sit with me and my friends, and now they're going to be your friends too. And to this day, they're still my friends. Yeah. Yeah. And and they and they love the gay community. The gay community loves us. Uh, we're all in there. And, and it's such a fun bridge that these two communities are connected. And it, it's like when you lot they're dovetailed. Is how I would describe it. The uh, comedy community and the gay community. And the gay community, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really refreshing to see the emergence and acceptance of more gay performers, more openly gay performers yeah. in general, even just actors coming out mm-hmm. like that. How does that affect you as you know, as a performer, as an artist, seeing more? Again, I know you said opera is more <laughs> gay friendly, but you just even on a personal level. Yeah, I, you know, like I said, it's like I, um, I didn't realize until recently, like, how much I've, like, felt myself, like, resisting, like, being gay, like, not being gay, but, like, being a gay, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, and because I was always, you know, uh, I don't know, I just, I never thought that I would feel like I was a part of that community. Um, But like I said, because the opera is so gay and because you know the musical theater world is so gay um it it feels like um all of a sudden like i'm much more comfortable there than i am anywhere else and so like i don't know i i guess i I, yeah it just it just makes me feel more comfortable like when i go into work even if i'm playing a straight character i can still like act gay in a rehearsal or i can still like act gay right anytime i'm around like coworkers, i don't feel like i need to like so for instance like last night i was um we had two different christmas parties for work and um when you have like christmas parties for an opera house there's a lot of um uh like patrons who are there for the because that's how opera houses mostly like get their funding is not it's not through ticket sales it's through donations it's through patrons supporting the opera house and most of them are you know older um 60s and 70s and straight most of them um but i never have felt like i needed to like act straight in order to 
seem professional. Like it was never like, okay, I need to like, of course I have to be aware of how I'm talking to them because I want to come across professional, but I don't have to be afraid of looking flamboyant or looking feminine and having that be perceived as unprofessional. Yeah. It's not like you're making a deal with, with bank clients in a conservative industry. Exactly. I mean, come on people. If you're listening to opera, if you're patronizing opera, you're, you've got to be enlightened. You've you've got to be educated and cultured and you probably have loved gays for decades. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So do you feel that being more comfortable with yourself and sort of like, you know, just sort of allowing yourself to be a gay, has that affected your ability to perform in a positive way? Yeah, it's actually really funny because one of my, so I was in a production um, in school. Um, It's a French opera called Verterre. And there are like, there's like three main male characters and then there's two supporting male characters. And I was one of the two supporting male characters and all five of us were gay. And um, I was talking to my, my voice teacher at the time and she was like, you know, it's really funny to see, cause you know, she knew, she knew all of us. Um, she's like, it's really funny to see those of you who are more comfortable with your sexuality because you actually look more like, more quote unquote straight, more like quote unquote in the right time period because you're not like, uh, you know what I mean? Because Exactly. Exactly. So like those, like the people who like are more, are, are more willing to be quote unquote gay off the stage tend to be able to like shed their, uh, their own mannerisms uh, when they go on stage. Sounds better. like being vulnerable. I think right? and the I importance think of that. That's really what stood out to me as well. Is it's not about how you portray your masculinity or femininity. I think as a performer, it's just about being yourself. Yeah, totally. when you go on stage and allowing the character to inform people what to think. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I'm having a great time. I do as well. Want to take a break and have a snack? Yeah, let's go sounds have a snack. great. Sounds good. Okay. You guys, we're back from break, and I came back into the studio a little bit later than these two, and I heard the word peacock. Yes. <laughs> so I'm interested already. Obviously, the most opulent of birds. Uh, no, we were talking, Michael and I were specifically talking about just some of the personalities that you get, not just in the arts world, but in the opera world specifically, because yeah. it breeds a very specific level of pretentious yes michael what kind of bird are you oh my god Ugh. she's a swallow wow. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that's what i was at least you're not a spit <laughs> <laughs> what kind of bird am i oh my god what a question um i think that i'm like a dove because you know i'm like very like easygoing like just very peaceful yeah kind of person Bitch. <laughs> and I'm really, really white. So. Get released at the right moment. I love it. I love it. No, I just sort of wanted to, you know, chit chat though about these opera personalities for those people who might not be as familiar with um, who is drawn to opera. Yeah. It's really funny. There's this like saying that, you know, my friends and I say, which is like, you know, the only people who are bigger queens than gay guys who sing opera are straight guys who sing opera like (laughs) it's so funny like like you said like everyone's a peacock and everyone has their own way of like letting other people know that they're the best singer in the room and the most important singer in the room and like to see uh you know like sometimes in certain um contexts gay men act that way anyways towards each other so when we're all trying to like get the same job at the same time like that gets particularly um bloody um but like <laughs> but like then when like you get like a straight guy who like you know if i may like many straight guys who are performers um that thing that we were talking about earlier about how like you know you you have to be aware of how you're being perceived when you're on stage mm-hmm. and you can't bring all of your mannerisms that you have in your real life on stage uh w- when straight guys are performers and there is for some of them already an insecurity about like doing this thing that by like, you know, someone walking down the street, they might say like, Oh, you're a professional singer. Like that's gay. So they're already kind of struggling with that a little bit. So like, if they're going to do it, they're going to be like the best 
Can I swear they, on this? Yeah, of yeah. course. They're gonna be like the best fucking singer ever. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it, it, it's interesting. Like, they're so extra. Okay, so I'll gossip about someone who you don't know. Okay, I used to I used to be a waiter, and there was this long stretch of time, a too long of a stretch of time, where we had uh, a busboy who was actually a busman. He. <laughs> And, 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 and mostly because he didn't speak English very well. He came from sure. an Eastern European country. And, and there he was. A, he claimed that he was a professional opera singer. Sure. Uh, I never saw him behave in a professional way in, those, in that time. But he did sing really well. And he made it a point every day to remind us that he was a professional opera singer back home. And w- w- not only in, in words, but also in song at the most inappropriate times. Oh, no. He loved showing off. Hype, hyper masculine. He was toxically yeah. masculine. One of those kind. <laughs> you would, I think, you'd be amazed, like how many. And it's this is less so, I think, in like musical theater or straight theater, but like in opera, like there are so many guys like that that like have that like just that need to be like I am straight and like. I, I'll, none of you are going to forget it, you know? Yeah, and right. I'll let you remind you smugly. Yeah, exactly. And what's so fascinating to me uh, is I've been exposed to a lot of male opera singers is it almost hasn't left sort of that Victorian court vibe. <laughs> no, but I'm completely serious is they are these like powdered and wigged and very like primped sort of peacocks dancing around the court. Yes. You know, with very, you know, like, oh, whispering behind the fan and chuckling to themselves. And it's very that. Yeah. And it's it's also another thing that, like, my friends and I have been talking about a lot lately, is, is funny to watch people like that who normally would want to reject uh, gay guys and, like, feminine acting guys. That's not cool. Like, you can't be like that in opera. Or, like, you know, no one's wants to put up with that uh-huh. anymore so like they have to like be cool with gay guys and they but they like don't know how to talk to us sometimes like <laughs> they're very like taken aback by like someone being feminine you know yeah. when, when you're with when you're with uh, uh your friends and your colleagues mm-hmm. do you do things to like show off your your abilities and your vocal range that's interesting what is, I, yeah what's your version of like not the mating dance, but more like like flexing. If like you're, you're a guy, who, a gay guy who works out, you might like try to like uh, show off with like how, talking about how much you can lift or by flexing your arm or something. Like, or if you're a bottom, you put your leg above your head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I think that um, it's almost like so. Like my friends who are singers, like we we're all very like. Um, at least the people that I'm like close with I mean not like I can't say this for all singers but the people that I'm close with it's kind of like we're all above that we're we all know like if you try to do something that you're only going to get made fun of like no one's going to think you're a better singer because you I don't know did something so like kind of the game that we play is like kind of this subconscious like Okay, who can care about this the least? Because you know what I mean. It's like it's like that's cool. Then if you're like, oh my god, I was like so terrible in my audition today, and then like if you like then get the job anyways, then it's like, check, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great because like something that's tiring is in in theater you have people, especially who maybe are newer to acting, but who've always wanted to be an actor. They will come on you and just tell you about how fantastic they are, which agency has brought them in for all these little commercials, which they haven't booked yet, but they, they want to tell you which monologues they know by oh, heart. And totally. Oh, God. And I hate it write. when someone starts like just like monologuing at me. Oh no, you meet those people. That's how you always know. Uh, one reason I'm grateful for improvisers, you always know a stand-up when you meet one. Oh. Like, improvisers, we just do weird characters. Like, we just, like, sort of fall into other people yeah. sometimes which is which is fine it's and fine. we accept it and we accept we just accept that like sometimes we're going to be a different character for a little bit but with stand-ups you always know a stand-up because they're always monologuing Ugh. they're always doing a bit yeah um but anyway i i there you said something really interesting though about straight men coming into this very like gay dominant industry yeah do you ever see gay men like sissying it up to be more accepted Interesting. I, you know, did I say that correctly? Yeah, straight men. Yeah, yeah straight men just like gaying it up. I heard you say straight men coming is how you I, initiated I that want, question. I mean, I <laughs> and I stopped listening after that. <laughs> I mean, Google. It's because you're a spit. No, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm just kidding. I did. I did pay attention. You. Know, that was a I, good question. I think 
So do you mean like, did you say like gay men Sorry. sissing it up or straight men? Straight men sissing it up. That was the question. Um, do you ever see straight men like sissy it up to get along better in the in the opera community? Yes, is the answer to that. <gasps> Love it. Tell um, us. Okay. Ooh. There's kind of this thing lately um, of like men who are opera singers. I, I'm, I, I can't say that because it's never mind. Um, yeah, I do. I see. I see straight men like straight men are not really listening to this. There's one, and, and if they are, they're going to enjoy it. All we, right, fine. We love when they flirt with us for sport. All right, here's the thing. There are <laughs> opera singers who, like, it's been, like, a thing lately where, like, opera singers will, like, come out as bi, and everyone's like, oh, that's awesome, we accept you. And then, like, we're like, he's not really bi. Like, he's, like, only dated girls. Like, he's obviously not bi. Yeah. He just, like, wants to be in the club. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. Let but them in. That's so <laughs> interesting to me, though. Yeah. Is because, obviously, we are not the kind of people that are like, oh, I'm judging your sexuality. Of but course not. at the same yeah, of course not. You we're fine, Michael. We're we're good. <laughs> but it's funny to me though that it's almost like the reverse exactly. of being in the closet. Like they're in the they're they're almost putting themselves in like the straight closet. Yeah. Where because so, so, sometimes you can just you know, there was there was that slew of boys and girls in high school that came out as bi, mm-hmm. and now they identify as straight. Yeah. And you're like, okay, like, we understand what's going on here and can recognize. It, it, it's always helpful to have a little empathy. And even if it's an exercise in fitting in, that's it's still because they feel like they don't fit in. They're just trying to do something to make them feel better. And maybe they're even just trying to empathize, which is something that I think it's beautiful. Oh, I don't think they're trying to empathize. I think I, to me, they I just want to be like, maybe have more attention. Just, yeah. They just it's the, it's like, the, I think, I think it's possible that for some people, they think that that is like their way of being interesting yeah. is like <laughs> coming out as bi when like, they're actually just straight, well, <laughs> which is fine. I'm not yeah. like, you know, and I'm like you said, like, I'm not, it's mostly a joke. Like, I would never presume to know someone's sexuality before they or, – or say that it's different than what they say it is. But it's just like – It's suspect. In many conve- – or, like, in many cases, it's like, well, that's convenient that, mm-hmm. like, you're bi because then you get to, like, be, like, liked by the gay people in this industry. And, like, you now know? they get the key to the pool inside the opera exactly. house that only the gays had before. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like now that you've got like a little beacon shining out of your asshole. Yeah. But like, there's, but we all know there is a thorny hedge blocking anyone from entering. Girl. 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 Um, a thorny straight hedge. All right. So. <laughs> I'm a thorny hedge. Uh, when I, uh, when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. I did something really mean. Did it's you? It's the only mean thing I've ever done in my life, I think. Oh, wow. Truly mean thing. Um, but yeah, this is not cool though. I, there was, uh, there's a little kid who, uh, was my friend, right? Totally cool. And we had, I already have anxiety about the end of the story. I was young though. So I didn't know, I didn't know any better, but I pushed them into uh, a thorn, like a rose bush. (gasps) Like, like just, did they piss you off or like you just wanted to see someone suffer? I did not want to see someone (laughs) suffer. I, it was, and I immediately regretted it and I pulled them up so fast and I like, I just wanted to cry. Like I couldn't believe I had done something so mean. And and ever since then, I've had a problem doing mean things to people. Um, has anyone ever been really, really mean to you? Hmm. I mean, it's surely the answer is yes. But I also was like the kid that was like super nice. Like I was always like kind of known as like the kid that would like be nice to the kid that no one else was nice to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I was never like really bullied. Um, as a kid, I wish I had a yeah. like funny story. I feel like there's just like oh. two types of gay. Like there's the one that's nice to everyone, and there's yeah. the one that hates everyone. Everyone, totally. Yeah. But back to your story. Um, there was a story of when we were little. Okay, so there's this girl who I was like best friends with, and she, bef- she had been in like this group of like four girls in this is in literally second grade, and um halfway through the year like a new girl came and she was cool and they literally like told my friend like you're not in the group anymore because like she took your spot and she and so like one day at recess she like went up to like the girl that she was closest to in the group 
again, second grade, and was like, hey, like, can I, like, do you think that I can, like, be in the group? And she said to her, quote, when you're in, you're in, and when you're out, you're out. <laughs> wow. Isn't that so, like... I love that. That's brilliant. So but it's, it's, it's kind of iconic, actually. Like, I actually am now closer friends with the girl who said that than the girl who was Obviously, kicked out of the group. She's, so. yeah. you, she's a visionary. You found your queen. Exactly, you know? exactly. And, and I can't imagine that her being kicked out was undeserved. I mean, she was, like, pretty nice. I think that she, they just didn't <laughs> like her because she was she common. Was, she was common. <laughs> she That's was it. common. She was common. Folks at home, just so you know, common is hot right now. Yeah, common we, is the new basic. Common's the new basic. To say that, right, it's not hot to be common. It's not hot to be common, but common is hot as right. a word, and, as and an yeah. idea. Now, obviously, none of our listeners are common. But they not. know they have to deal with people on a daily basis who are common. Of course. You know, you know the commoners, the peasants, you know, <laughs> you know the pedestrians. You yeah. um, I want to trace this back, though. We have uh, throughout history the uh, gay diva phenomenon mm-hmm. where uh, gay men will latch onto very powerful, talented women. Tell me about that in the opera world. Like, what does that look like? Um, it's so interesting that you say that because, okay, so last year I lived with um, a woman uh, who was a lesbian and I lived with her and her uh, her partner. And she also was a singer. And she, I mean, one of the most beautiful singers I've ever met. Beautiful voice, beautiful actress, like just really incredible. But she always kind of felt like she... Um, wasn't really being like people weren't really responding to her because she wasn't this like diva bitch you know what I mean she wasn't like super super glamorous and like always like dragged out and like you know even though she was incredible but because she like wasn't um, she wasn't the diva like quote unquote the diva that people wanted her to be like they didn't respond to her as well so it's really interesting because like you know as much as I talk about, like, yeah, it's a gay man's world in opera, but we we need women to tell the stories of opera. Unfortunately, um, and so <laughs> but are, are there are there women who are who are famous in opera who, when when they arrive to do to do a show, that maybe the other people on cast clamor for? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, opera is a very like very small world compared to most industries, so we all kind of like know each other. Um, but there is still like uh, like a kind of a celebrity thing going on of like, you know, when like the lead soprano gets there, like, you know who she is. Yeah. Partly because you already know who she is, but partly because she's wearing a certain kind of coat and she's dressed up a certain way. And it's like kind of hard to subvert those. And honestly, she put that coat on knowing really, knowing full well she was going to oh, get a ton course. of attention. And that we all do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Almost everything I do is for attention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Every, everything I do is for I'm attention. Good. We're performers. We thrive on external validation. <laughs> Actually. Like, we're not curing cancer here. <laughs> I mean, I think that there is something to be said about uh, the wonderful, wonderful uh, place that the arts have in society and yeah. a community and what that does for the community Uh but also at the same time, like we fucking love attention. We yeah, like we we came here all looking great. Like we don't do this podcast in our pajamas. It ever. can be yeah, both. Right. It can be both. Yeah. We can love external validation and give back. <laughs> yeah, I was, I'm like as I was like getting ready to come here, I was like as I'm going to the gym after this, I was like packing for the gym, and she's like, why don't you just like wear what you're wearing to the gym to the podcast? And I was like, well, because you know I'm gonna like be on that podcast. She's like, you know what a podcast is? I was like, well, yeah, but like I'm. Meeting new people, like I'm not right. gonna be wearing sweatpants when I meet like two gay people. What like, do I look like? like who a do you think I am? <laughs> but it's interesting because, in in a way, it's like so. First time you meet them, you want to dress really nice, right? Yeah. Second time you meet them, you kind of do want to like show up in a tank top and sweatpants. Because then it's like it's like I was talking about before. It's like the less I care, the cooler I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But here's the thing: that's like where the gay kicks in is because it can't just be sweatpants. Okay, it has to be like so either like some baggy gray like dick sweatpants. Yeah, we know we you know what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah, you have a visible, like, visible penis line. Very yeah. or like very like tailored joggers. You know, very like very like trendy. Like it's, it has, it has to, to be, be a leisure. choice. Like 
Mm-hmm. You have to like choose not to care. It can't just be like you can't just like look bad. I'm pretending not to care. I am comfortable. Exactly. But and we all know you're pretending not to care. Like we get it. Mm-hmm. But we go along with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. We just pretend like We want you to we want everybody to be comfortable in, in their <laughs> in their own fantasy. Yeah. Which is I think I think that's a good thing. I think that's and that's something that I love about the gay community in general is just uh this this push for like live your fantasy yeah that's what we're all about we'll like, all go along with it we'll, all the time yeah. we mm-hmm. deserve it we'll, we'll go along with it because everyone deserves to have their little happy plays yeah exactly and then we'll just read them behind their back <laughs> <laughs> I hope people are talking about me behind my back oh yeah all press is good press all of it yeah in, in fact even better if it's negative why do you say that uh, because there's like more energy behind it. People okay, are yeah. so much more into it. Because anyone can be like, yeah, Anthony's a super good guy. Because you know they're not just saying, they're saying it to feel better about themselves. Like they're willing, like like if you push someone in the rose, rose bush, like you feel shitty about yourself, but you were willing to do it anyways. So if someone's like talking shit about you, they really yeah. are thinking about you. And, like and they're ho- not just trying to be nice to make themselves look good. Right. And, and hopefully it's about like superficial things. Like, God, that fucker always looked perfectly put together what a dick he's so I'm not entirely conceited. sure that's negative I know <laughs> we like them we like people to say very positive things about us in a hateful in way in an infuriated way like I want people to love me so much that they hate me right. I want people to be so angry at my insane level of talent <laughs> that they become enraged I want crazed fans attacking me because they want to tear off a piece of my talent. Obsessive rage. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's another question. What are what does a fan look like? Yeah, what is an the opera fan opera like? World? Well, I mean, the patrons. Unfortunately, sort of I don't really about. know the answer to that question yet. Maybe one day, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's actually funny that like that is actually our like biggest fans, quote unquote, are 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 the patrons who are like the at the at the opera house who donate to the opera house because like if you like really make friends with this certain patron and you kind of like are chummy with them and they really like you as a person they might like pull for you to get rehired at that opera company so like yeah like my like biggest fans are like you know like the old ladies that are like at st louis that i see after the show and like talk to me and Mm -hmm. yeah i don't have any haven't had any crazed fans um try to Rip my clothes off yet. Well, I mean, those knock on wood. Knock on wood. I mean, we got two right here, Michael. <laughs> yeah, we're your. We are definitely your first two. Oh fans. my gosh! Your thank first you guys. Fan. First so crazy. Not, well, my yeah. mom is my biggest fan, but okay. Well, we'll work on it. We'll, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, don't worry. We'll remove her. We, we try to. <laughs> we try to outdo anybody. Perfect. Any threats? Um, so you don't have any crazed fans, but can you give us sort of an idea of like? the type of person that is an opera patron and like how you interact with like, just what does that whole sort of relationship look like? Yeah. It's kind of, it's a, it's a funny relationship that like you don't really realize until you're like in the opera business is like this relationship between like the patrons and the singers. And like, we come from very different worlds and it's kind of like outside of like what just happened on stage. We don't really have a lot to talk about, but that relationship is sort of, forced because you know the the opera company wants them to keep donating and they want us to come keep singing there and so we have to kind of get to know each other um so i would say like your like typical opera patron is like 60s 70s um obviously like pretty wealthy um but like you said it's like if you're supporting the arts you're a you're a a, a socially aware person yeah um and so like it's it's interesting it's it's like I said, it's kind of a forced um, uh, relationship, but it's one that you kind of just like learn how to navigate. It's like it's it's its own separate skill. Um, they say like when you um, when you have a, a career in the performing arts, talent is like five percent of that equation, and the other you know ninety five percent is like preparation and you know showing up on time and doing all of the like grunt work, but also like networking and like learning how to talk to people. And because you like you never know like who's gonna be around that you need to like impress yeah and, and thank goodness for these people and and oh they, absolutely the ones that, who are who are keeping your career to be you know alive right oh 100 so, because our you know i can't imagine that you know our 40 dollar ticket 
uh, is is putting on these elaborate productions with amazing costumes and sets. Exactly, exactly. So, like for instance, in St. Louis, um, there is every year they perform a new opera. So it's um, and that is because of a specific grant that a specific family gives. Like they give like a crazy amount of money like every year for the opera company to do this one thing. So that's kind of like the trade off is like okay, I'm going to give you this much money, but it's also, it's really important to me that we keep making new operas. So why don't you like do that? So like you said, it's like, it's a very much like a symbiotic relationship. Like the, the opera company is absolutely like completely dependent on these people. Um, but these people, because of that, they're able to like help shape the future of that opera company. And it's just like a really cool, it's a really cool thing to be someone who gets to benefit from Let's that. say I had, you know, like a million and a half dollars yeah. to, to sponsor an opera next season. Would I have, would I be granted uh, creative uh, input, uh, maybe like something edit, like in an editorial or directorial way, would I be able to influence the show? Um, it kind of depends on the opera company, but like at the higher level companies, like I know this is going to sound crazy, but like a million and a half dollars is a ton of money, but it's not even like that much, like for like how much people like give, you know, to the wow. opera company. Um, like, so if you sorry, pay that I'm much poor money, then that's all that I can afford <laughs> this year. No, 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 no. no. Like, like, okay. Economy, so like, you know. if you, if you gave that much money, like you might, I, I, I don't really know. Maybe you'd be able to tell the company, like, I want to see this opera done next year, yeah. but then they'll go and like, they'll hire the director and they'll hot. Like, it's not like, like, I don't, Again, it depends on the opera company, but I don't think you really like would be able to like make artistic choices. I couldn't waltz. About that. I couldn't waltz in during a rehearsal and be like, "I don't like these costumes. I want to see something else." And correct, I want you to cast so and so. Uh, maybe like if you ask like for a specific singer, then they might like take that okay. into account. But you could waltz into rehearsal, and like that's like its own privilege. Oh, like, that'd for be some fantastic! Of these, like for some of the patrons, like they like you know just like to like be able to sit in on rehearsals. Like yeah. that's a cool thing for them. You that's know? super special. I would love to yeah. sit in on rehearsal. Yeah. yeah. I. Uh... Yeah, you might not be given the rights to be a monster to the company, but we would certainly take the right to be a monster to the company. There you go. One year when I can afford, you know, 600 million plus. (laughs) A billion dollars, oh. Yeah, just drop a billion dollars on an opera. Company. I misspoke. Now that I'm thinking about, like, okay, a million and a half—that's that's a lot of money, like to I mean, to give. But like, but I I just see like these crazy amounts of money that people give to the opera company. It's just like. They really care about this. You well, know? when they give that amount of money, it's used over a series of years. Sure, you sure. You know, it's they aren't blowing a million and a half load on, you know. Exactly. Well, and all opera. these companies have, like, endowments that they, like, you know, are chipping into every mm-hmm. year. and yeah. So, yeah. That's so interesting. I just, it's it's a fascinating relationship that, like, Anthony and I have to, you know, sort of lean into as well. Yeah. Is... Who are our patrons? You know, who's helping us get from the uh, yeah, and from the chorus to the center stage? And, and a lot of it, it is like financially, just when we do something, when we do a show, it's us reaching into our own wallets sure. um, so far. But it's we've had the support, like the for through access to get to certain stages through people that have seen us and who know us and and who like us a lot. Um, and. I would love for people to be throwing a ton of money at a million and a half dollars at us. So that actually brings up an interesting question, though, because a lot of the comedy community is sort of underground. You know, it's people who are doing the same thing we're doing where they are investing their own money into their own productions. And they might not be incredibly grand, but it's sort of you you scale then. You know, you start small and gradually build and build and build as your audience grows. Uh, is there any equivalent to that in opera of you're seeing singers or like people um, putting on their own shows? You playwrights, mean? yeah, like putting on operas on sort of like an underground level. Yes, absolutely. Oh my god! And what's really cool about it? So like, actually, okay, so like, there was a like study done last year that was like, okay, opera ticket sales are like down significantly from last year, which is a bummer. That is sad, but. Um, what the study showed was that, so like, for instance, like the like most prominent opera company in the United States is the Met, which is in mm-hmm. New York, and their ticket sales were down significantly from last year. But there's also been like I think like 15 or 16 brand new like startup opera companies in New York City alone. So wow. like, what's happening is that people are kind of rejecting the um, 
the old aesthetic of opera, which is like this like very grand thing that, like I said, we kind of like put on a pedestal. And people want to like go to instead of like going to the Met and paying a hundred dollars for you know to sit on the top row in the balcony, people want to go to a warehouse and see someone do a really cool um, and like updated you know production of an opera that you know is set in a different time and place than the original opera was written in. So people are like still seeking out opera, but in much different ways than they used to. And like, we're talking about like, you know, is opera a dying art form? Well, maybe in the form that it's in right now, it's not as sustainable as it was 50 years ago, but. um... I'm supposed to lead into the finale of my show right now, but I'm having such a wonderful time and I have no other place to go. So we just had some technical errors happen to us. Uh, We attribute it to the ghost of Liberace. It doesn't help that uh, the microphone was inside of me. Well, that's what happens. Lesson (laughs) learned. Never be the same. (laughs) Both because of the, the haunting we just experienced and because you just said, it doesn't help that the microphone was inside of me. Yeah, no, I mean, the sound alone... I was equally uh, equally scared of both of them. Well, yeah, it was yeah. accidental, but reckless. The sound of it emerging <laughs> from my bowels was particularly terrifying. Sam has a migrating bowel, a migrating <laughs> colon. <laughs> Thank you, it's from Africa. <laughs> well, now that we're back, we didn't miss much of the conversation from, from what didn't record, uh, but... One of the most important things that that I would want to know, like let's say if I decided that I want to be an opera singer and I wanted a training for it, I committed my all to doing it, and I went for my <laughs> audition. Get there by fifty, I w- <laughs> <laughs> and I, I fast track it to fifty, and I go to my audition. I I would want to know, do I get to keep my costumes? Uh, well, that is an interesting question. Um. The short answer is usually no, because uh, because it is so expensive to put on a full opera production, including the set and the costumes. Um, so actually, what people do is they uh, these productions will like travel. So one, you know, one company will um, create this production of this opera, and then you know, two years later, another company wants to do that same opera, and they say, "Oh my gosh, that production that you know Michigan Opera Theater did was so beautiful. Maybe we should rent that production from them." So the whole thing, set, costumes, uh, will go, and they'll put that on. So usually, you don't get to keep your costumes. Once in a while, if a company is creating a production, so they're making all the costumes from new, um, sometimes you'll have the option to buy. Uh, uh, a certain piece if you really, really like it. Um, there's a piece, uh, so in May, we're doing uh, Ricky Ian Gordon's uh, opera, The Grapes of Wrath, of course, based on the uh, famous novel. Um, and it's the same production that um, that we did in St. Louis a couple years ago, and I'm playing the same role. And there's this really adorable jacket that I'm I'm really hoping that they, they will let me purchase at Tell the end of... Tell us about the jacket. Oh my gosh, so glad you asked. <laughs> um, it's a... Is this like a, like, a, like a wearing around town? Is this like a private collection when gentlemen callers come? No, 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 no. no, no. Like... Well, I mean, maybe that too, but it's like totally like I would wear this. I mean, it's like, it's it, it, like, it would read as like very throwback if I wore it today, but it's like... It's like just above the hips. It's like nice and short, like zip up, like leather, um, like slightly darker than beige, like jacket. And it's so cute. I love cute. That. Yeah. But you look great in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Michael Day, I've loved having you here. Oh my gosh. Been, I have loved being here. It's been such a pleasure. No matter where you are, you're always going to be a gaber to us. <sighs> Thank you guys so much for having me. I had a blast. Um, can you tell, before we let you go, can you tell the folks at home about uh, the upcoming opera season, what they might see you in? I sure can. So we have one more. Well, I guess by the time that this you know, is done, the one that we're doing currently will Talk be. Talk to us about 2019. All right. So in 2019, we have three operas that we're doing uh, at 
Michigan Opera Theater. The one that I'm most excited about is Candide, and that's because I get to <gasps> sing the lead in it. I Congratulations. Love um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's the studio show. So what it means is it actually features the studio artists um, in uh, bigger roles than we normally play throughout the season. Um, so that will be in the... F- second and third weekend in March and that because it's a studio show it travels so we do a weekend in Macomb um, we do a weekend at the Berman Center of Performing Arts um, Beautiful so that one's, that one's really really awesome I'm so um, excited so to see that highly recommend that for a lot of reasons, not uh-huh. the least of which is that it will be starring yours truly. <laughs> it's a, star. Is it a gay, is it a gay story? Is there a gay storyline? Because I know there's a song in it called "Gay and Glitter, uh, Glitter and Be Gay." Glitter and Be Gay, but that is just means like. Like in the context, just means like happy. Okay? I love it's. I mean, it's known for being one of the most difficult songs in all of opera. Yes, it is. And um, so the the woman that I was talking about that I lived with last year is actually coming back to do that role, and she's, she's gonna like be Kuntagonda. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and oh, um, and she's gonna be amazing. Like she's gonna be incredible. That's so exciting. Um, so yeah, so that is in March. In April, we are doing, it's actually a really interesting second half of the season because they're all in English, which is obviously very rare. Most of our stuff is in Italian or German or French. Um, but uh, then we're doing Hansel and Gretel. Um, the, <gasps> yeah, the uh, the opera Hansel and Gretel. The adorable children's tale. Yes. And that is in April. And then in May, we're doing The Grapes of Wrath, um, which I also will be. I'm not in Hansel and Gretel, but I'll be in, be in uh, both Candide and the Grapes of Wrath, and that's in May. Well, I'm going to be there too. Yeah, we'll be there to just to watch. We'll do a little follow up, maybe, and uh, (gasps) that would be very fun. See how your star has risen, Michael. Such a pleasure having you on the show. Such a pleasure to be on the Uh, show. So excited to see your future projects. Everyone at home, go check them out. It's going to be great. You're going to have a great time. Uh, You can buy tickets on the Michigan Opera Theater website. Yes, you can. Mot.org, right? Uh, I think it's MichiganOpera.org. MichiganOpera.org. You know, either way, if you put that in, it's going to come up. You're going to find exactly. it. You're going to find Google it. Michigan Opera. Are you on social media? I sure am. I am on Instagram at Mishmishin, M-I-C-H-M-I-C-H-I-N. Um, I'm also uh, on Twitter under the same handle. Wonderful. I heard it. Give him a follow. Yes, yeah. please do. Okay, folks, that is all the time we have for today. Remember, don't let anyone dull your sparkle. We love you. to do now is to introduce a segment called Stonewall of Fame. During this segment, we'd like to thank figures from history who, whether gay or straight, have really championed LGBT rights and acceptance. This week, our Stonewall of Fame honoree is the OG Stonewall and bitch herself, Marsha P. Johnson. Along with all the other drag queens and queer people of color that backed her up. In the early hours of June 28, 1969, police raided New York City gay bar, the Stonewall Inn. And we have to remember, this was pretty common practice at the time. Uh, Police would go in, they would trash the bar, they would beat up anyone they could find, they would haul drag queens to jail for wearing women's clothing. I mean, the list goes on. They were awful. Well, on June 28, those queers said, hell no. When the police came to raid the bar, they fought back. This launched a series of marches and riots, now called the Stonewall Riots, that brought the LGBT community together more than ever before. Their sacrifices in resisting this discriminatory treatment by the government launched the LGBT rights movement in the United States, and it's a major reason that we have the rights that we do today. So, we dedicate this episode to Marsha P. Johnson and all those who fought back with her. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why you should always tip your drag queens. In the words of the rotting pumpkin jack-o'-lantern still on my front porch, whether you're LGBT or an ally, as long as you have a little gay in your heart, you will always be welcome in the gayborhood. Just remember, don't let anyone dull your sparkle. We love you.